Attention, citizens. The Dub Talk podcast may contain language and content that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Watch Me would like to remind you that listener discretion is advised. Please be advised that spoilers for any anime series may occur at any time. Representative of the Citizens' Ethics Committee would like to remind you that the opinions expressed are only those of individuals and not of Dub Talk podcast as a whole. Let's enjoy the show together. Hello, and welcome to Dub Talk, the show where a bunch of nerds get together and talk about a recent dub or dub announcement. And today we're doing an entry in our special Summer at the Movies series, where two of those nerds look at the dub for a recently released feature-length anime film. Today we're going to be looking at Harmony, the 2015 film anime by Studio 4C, directed by Michael Arias and Takashi Nakamura, and based on the novel of the same name by Project Ito. It's the second of the Project Ito films, following Empire of Corpses, go watch the Summer of the Movies entry for that when that comes out, and followed itself by Genocidal Organ. But, uh... Before we get to talking about Harmony, let's introduce ourselves. Sneeze, introduce yourself to the audience, won't you? Why, hello, fellow citizen. I am Sneeves. I work with Dub Talk, and until I was reformed by Watch Me, I was the resident troll. But now I am perfectly blissful in my state of harmony, which is good, because I needed to be harmonious in order to make my way through this horrible film. Yes. And I'm Amon. I talk about stuff. Uh, so, uh, without any further ado, should we jump right in? Let's jump in, fellow citizen. Remember, it's good to keep your health levels well in balance when discussing this rage-inducing film. <laughs> I have opinions, ladies uh, and gents. Uh. So, first up, we have our uh, EDR director and our writers. Ah, uh, uh, yes, the beloved writers. Indeed. Uh, for our direct ADR director, we have Christopher Bevins. And for ADR writers, we have John Bergerminer and Deborah Crane. Uh, mm-hmm. Sneeves, what did you think about the writing and directing on this film? I found that they tried to do their best with the material they were given. I found the writing was... Um, comfortably localized at the beginning. I was quite pleased at the beginning when we see uh, Tuan with her uh, with her troop meeting with that nomadic people. They did a very good job with, they spoke in Arabic and they tried to get the accent down very, very well. I was pleased how they localized things to try to create the sense of internationalism that was abounding in this film. And uh, while they had a lot of info dumpy dialogue, when the script gave them the room to do so by trying to be fi- having fidelity to the source material. They worked as best they could. Hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Like they're they had a they had a doozy to work with. Uh, but yeah, I I do like I agree. I think they did a very solid job of like, all right, this is the content we have to work with. This is how it's presenting itself. Uh, and as far as getting something that you know. Uh, Lucas, you know, felt comfortable in the English, but also because uh, I should note, I did not get to watch this in sub, so I'm not sure exactly what the Japanese is like. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to do that either. Uh, but it felt, it felt, it felt comfortable, and it felt very appropriate to the movie. I never felt like 
You ever, you ever watch like a really bad dub and it feels like this was this taken from something else? Yep. It's kind of been shoved in here. I never had that feeling watching this. It felt very much like this is the, you know, this is what's right for this film. They tried to make the language sound as natural as they could, and uh, I will give credit where credit's due. They uh, they added the touches where they may, and that was what actually first roped me in about this and helped me carry on until we reached the 20-minute mark. <laughs> and then I needed to go to my dispenser and deliver myself a synthetic Valium capsule to keep myself adjusted as a fellow healthy citizen. Well put. Thank you, friend. <laughs> you know, you know, if this, if, the, if your current job doesn't work out, I think you could do, a, you could do, a, you could get a good gig playing uh, creepy robots in movies. You got that, you got that good tone to you. I am thankful for this, friend. Spaceman Hardy has commended me for re-education to contain my alcoholic and rage-bound outbursts, and so far the medication has become exceedingly effective. I have not had a single outburst since 24 hours since seeing this damn film. I am most functional and happy to serve. <laughs> oh, excellent. All right. So, uh, directing, writing, good all around. Uh, thank you all for your excellent work here. Uh, so now, let's get on to the cast. Uh, now, well, there's a couple of other uh, credited voice roles which we're going to skip here because they don't say a lot, and this is only a two-hour movie, so you know minor roles are very minor. Exactly. Uh, Their screen but... time quotients were insufficient to have us dedicate valuable podcast resources towards covering them. This is a true fact. And uh, why why associate good voice actors with a film we find dodgy at best and oof at worst? We do uh. so. Because the system dictates us, and who are we to question the glorious system? That's a fair point. Why else did I get this thing installed on my collarbone? Hmm? I thought it was to pick up chicks and help get laid at the right sort of bars. But such thoughts are unmutual and thus not suitable towards discussion in this current podcast. Indeed. Uh, so, first up on our cast, we have Gabrielle Etienne. And uh, Kite Saiki, who are both scientists that uh, our lead character Tuan uh, go to in order to uh, get more information on this little mystery she's trying to solve. Sneeves, what did you what do you think of our scientist friends? I found... oh I, sh I should point out uh, Kita Seika is played by Mark Stoddard who you uh, I know from such roles as Blitzty Abrams in Blood Blockade Battlefront, Daniel Monroe in Gangsta. And uh, currently, you can hear him playing Ushimatsu Kodata in Sakura Quest. And uh, Etienne Gabriel is played by uh, Stephanie Young, mm -hmm. who you might know from uh, such roles as KK in Blood Blockade Battlefront, Olivia Armstrong in Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, uh, Nico Robin in One Piece, and I thought uh, somewhat appropriate to bring up given the uh, similarities in tone, she plays the voice of the Dominator Guns in Psychopaths. She would be perfectly suited to a society in which there were no crime, no independent thought, and no cerebral science fiction to warn us of the dangers of such things. Uh, no, I'm uh, breaking the <laughs> breaking down for a moment as my medication titration wears down, and I ignore the blinking sensor telling me to refuel on my meds right away. 
Um, I found Gabrielle Etienne did a solid job as another role that existed to expound exposition. Uh, she tried adding the little crisp crinkle of an accent to give a pepper of character to a character who, I will be truthfully honest, I tried skipping a, uh, a chunk of her scene simply because I have a limited diet for empty exposition before my uh, higher functions start going into overdrive and we experience an undesirable rage outburst. Mm, yes. Uh, yeah, I thought she did She did a very nice job as an uh, exposition dump who appears on screen for about five minutes and then we never see ever again. Exactly. Uh, so it's a, it's a limited, thankless role, but sometimes mm -hmm. it's got to be done. And uh, yeah, I thought, I thought she helped bring a little bit of verb and pep to something that probably doesn't allow for a lot of... Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And yeah. as for Mike Stoddard there, I found that his uh, his delivery was, again, bored university professor trying to talk to some preppy upstart little bureaucrat about what how the world really works and how fascinating this neuro neuro neuroscience thing is. I, I admit I was mildly intrigued by uh, listening in on some of his dialogue because there was... I have a psych BA, so understanding a little bit about where these regions of the brain exist and how they actually work, I was kind of captivated, but I'm a nerd. I'm interested in this kind of shit. Um, mm. I found, again, his he tried to give personality where there really wasn't much room for one in the script, and good on you. I really appreciate the sacrifices you make for us, Mike Stoddard. Now please, continue the research so we can work out how to block out undesirable memories caused by watching crappy Project Ito adaptations. <laughs> uh, yeah, once again, like, he was, he was a very, he was a very pleasant to listen to exposition dump. Uh, he, he, you know, I always imagine it must be hard voicing these characters who kind of exist just to move the plot along, and they don't—they don't do anything. They have—they don't have an inner life. There's no arc here. They're—they're uh, they're at the mercy of the story. But again, I, I thought he brought a little bit of like pep and edge that gave this—you know—gave this character a little more than just like. And now I shall tell you things for three to five minutes, Not and then you will leap, and then you'll fly to somewhere else in the world, and we'll never speak ever again. Yep, that's. Uh... That sounds like a model utopian society where we don't have inner lives and carry on happily through our vital functions. And yeah, I uh, agree. Whole. We're going to be agreeing a lot with one another at this until we get further and further towards people with greater and greater screen presence because I have some words. <laughs> but for now, uh, yes, for the dear people of Mike Stoddard, and our lovely, what is her character? What was the actress again? I'm, I'm sorry for uh, Stephanie Young. Stephanie Young. Thank you both so very much for being drafted to this and trying to make do with what you had. We salute you. Mm hmm. So, next up, we have one of the uh, more standout characters in the movie <laughs> uh, Elijah Vashlov, uh, Interpol agent, or is he? Hmm. Maybe not. Uh, and he is played by uh, Christopher Bevins, who is also the uh, director, as we mentioned near the top. Yes. And you might know him for such roles as uh, Yusuhiro Hagakure from the Dagamrampa animes, uh, Grigori Rasputin in Drifters, because who doesn't want to play a Russian mystic, and 20 Not... Faces in Trickster. Ah, uh, yes, now here, uh, I have to admit, probably 
my favorite character in the show because he actually expressed something resembling relatable human emotion. Oh my gosh. The people who live in the fringes of a society that is so regimented and carefully contained are the most delightful people, as we can (laughs) tell by him when he attempts to pick up Tuan by showing her a business card and then being sorely impressed when she doesn't fall head over heels for a man with such a novel way of getting laid. (laughs) <laughs> I I loved this role. Uh, he, as the movie wore on, he fell into a bit more of a stock character part. But it, his introduction, I clapped aloud and beamed for joy because finally, finally someone in this movie who is literally in, legitimately enjoying themselves without any reason other than they get a kick out of living. I should note. I should note for the viewers at home. Uh, Elijah here probably doesn't show up till about what the one hour mark or so of this yeah. two hour movie, yeah. something like that. So, uh, yeah, he 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 stands out. If uh, both for if nothing else for just being, he's probably the liveliest character in the movie, and just he has such verve and zeal. And you know, I just I, it was so nice. You know, Bevins he gives him this. You know, could be kind of hokey, but it's pretty fun to listen to a Russian accent, and it's just such personality in it. It's like. Hey, you want to see my business card? We would like to see business card. I, is, they used to be quite popular. And I'm giving a very crappy Russian accent, but there was a, there was a. Uh, you got the feeling this one, this guy was a warm, a warm seeming person who would have just the right of likability and uh, interpersonal flair to be useful for making contacts in foreign soil and uh, winning over various people towards the glorious bosom of Mother Russia and her ends. Yeah, absolutely. Dear Sir Elijah Vashlov, we salute you for your sacrifices for the cause of entertaining our ass. Chris Bevins, you've done a solid. You've, You've got my approval. Thank you. You think uh, you think Chris Bevins is reading the script for this, and it's like, hey, this guy Elijah is the only fun person to play in this movie. I wouldn't say he's the only Christopher Bevins. Probably the yeah. only fun male character to play, and I that's think true. He, I think he, I think he just, I love these sort of little character roles who don't drastically shape the plot, but are just there enough to step in, step out, and have their moment in the, in the limelight. I adore these characters. Good job. Yeah, no. He was, uh, he was, he, he added some much needed color to the movie. Mm-hmm. Vol said he didn't show up earlier and he didn't last longer. Uh, it is a loss. Oh, well. Ah, uh, such is life. Uh, but yes, we, we applaud you, Christopher Bevins. You are superb. Thank you. And now, uh, moving on, we have, uh, Oskara Stauffenberg. Mm-hmm. Who is uh, Tuan's boss for the at the uh, agency she works for, and she is played by Rachel Robinson, who you may know for such roles as uh, Joel Rivero in Gangsta, Angelica in Show by Rock, and uh, Garak Gazelt in Snow White with the Red Hair. Uh, hmm. I think she's pretty good, I guess. Again, not a memorable role that really gave her much range. No. I, uh... I liked her attempt at a French accent. It uh, it did not sound like a proper Quebecois accent, but it, it was proper enough. Um, I assume she was French. It's the name sounds more Germanic, as you say, but yeah, I, I actually thought it was. I thought she was going for a German accent, but it was also kind of just sort of vaguely European enough that it could have been like anywhere. So I don't know. 
it she was from the EU because she had affordable <laughs> health care and existed in a sort of trade consortium that had enough bureaucracy up its ass to, to level a small forest. There but, we go. Uh, yeah, I found that the character wasn't... She comes off She's... as a stick in the mud, and that's all that character called for, but uh, I have to admit, I felt for her. I felt for her having to deal with all of these awful people all the time and just trying to make sure business got done. I am a pencil pusher myself for a living, and I appreciate the fact that you can have someone who deals with the bullshit of her underlings so stoically. Yeah. Rachel Robinson, it's... we salute you for getting our paperwork done and enjoying the good sorts of Bordeaux grapes. Hmm. Yeah, no, this is this is this is this is one of these not quite not quite as thankless as just being exposition, but it's pretty much you're the stern boss. She's you need you need you need to have that scene where you demand that they turn in their badge. I wish and then you have would. to get the badge back. I wish she would have like just turned in the badge, and then we could have gone <laughs> along with this plot without having to deal with our annoying protagonist, but that's a story for another time. Yes, yeah, so we'll get to that later. Oh, will we? Oh yes. So uh, thank you, thank you, Rachel, for doing a very nice performance on a character that did not give you a lot to do with. Yeah. Uh, we both salute you. Uh, so, moving on, uh, we have uh, Nuada Kire, the uh, longtime absent father of our protagonist, and he is played by Jeremy Schwartz. You may know from such roles as Vincent Venetti in Ninety One Days. Oculus in Death Parade, and Sorbet in Dragon Ball Super. Daddy and never loved me. Pretty much. It's Daddy left causing my crime coefficient to spike. I hate <laughs> you, divorcee dad. I hate you. Now, 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 let's let's not compare this to much better Philip K. Dick-esque things. That's that's just mean. Or shame, you know else is mean? shame. You know what else is mean? A society that enforces rigid social controls on its populace and doesn't even give the consent to opt out of the social contract. That, my friend, <laughs> that is mean. That is unkind. You, society would kill us with this kindness, but if we stand against it, we can be truly free, even in the arms of death. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh yes, I've had a changing point. I've learned to resist the beautiful machines that keep us perfect little kind creatures. I will become truly great, and I will lead you two on with us. As someone like Noada Kire, poor Jeremy Schwartz, narrating more exposition about the nature of consciousness, like a an actor reading through a bunch of Daniel Dennett notes and trying desperately to pull plot threads out of them. Another Expo Speak character who tries to add a little bit of texture of warmth and paternal glow towards this when he needed to. Uh, again, not much to work with. I salute you for trying, sir. Did you? Yeah, have no. I'm sorry. Yep. Different opinions? Uh no. Like again, like this. This is this is one of these things. Like it's a very professional dub, and what they're working with isn't great. But yeah. everyone here is professional enough to do a good job with what they have. Like it's the same thing. Like. Uh, he is, he is a, he's got a little more personality than some of the people we've been talking about before, but not a lot. And I did think he did, like, a good job of giving that character, you know, a little more uh, edge and memorability than they... You know, he could have played it, like, very, very bland, and it probably would have been acceptable. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought he did he did do a good job of bringing up a little bit more of the sense of like, uh, you, you know, you get a bet you get a better sense of like what's driving him and kind of like you know his thoughts and regrets than you you know you could have very easily just played this very like flat. Yeah, uh, and I appreciate that uh, you know on the part of the directors and writers and Jeremy to give him a little more edge. It's like no, no, he should be a little more than just like absentee father figure who suddenly reappears decades later, kind of a deal. Yeah, no, there was a uh, as you say there was a there was a talk of regret in how he was describing how the what the titular harmony actually did. There was a mm-hmm. sense of amazement and wonder there that I really. That I thought a scientist talking about, wow, we've had this great breakthrough in neuroscience, would react. Yeah, no, it's it's a, uh, it's like it's I don't know, it's it feels like a good example of the way you know it's how important like good voice acting actually is. Like mm-hmm. he could, there was a way he could deliver that when it came off as very like, flat and boring, and he did a very and I thought he did an excellent job of bringing out you know that kind of wonder to it and making it feel like okay, no, we get why this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, we get where he's coming from and all these decisions that, you know, led up to this and came away from it and, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I did enjoy this for as, like, kind of brief as his role is and how little he's given to work with, so. Yeah, yeah, I think, uh, uh, yeah, both Bevins and Schwartz really played off one another with the, uh, they don't really have many scenes together, per se, but they... Uh, there is a scene where the two characters come into conflict, and uh, just remembering that, I remember coming alive during that because it had such a a bit of a contrast where we could see, oh wow, this this guy really does have something of an inner life. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, yeah, so Jeremy Schwartz also doing a good job with kind of thin soup. Thank you, Jeremy. You're, uh, you're good people, and we value your contribution. Your inner life is an excellent contribution towards the process of harmony. And so we uh, we go on to one of our one of our uh, not quite a lead, but approaching a lead. We have uh, Sion Ricardo, who mm. uh, was once childhood friends with our uh, our protagonist and another friend of hers, who we'll talk about in a minute. And uh, Sion is played by Brittany Karbowski, who you may know for such roles. As uh, Yamada in Yamada's first time, uh, Migi in Parasite the Maxim, and Blackstar in Soul Eater. Ah, yes. Yes, which, if nothing else, quite a bit of range in there. So mm-hmm. uh, props to you, Miss Karbowski. Uh, what did... <laughs> so I think, I think this might be the most important character of the shortest screen time. Sneeves, what, how, what are your feelings? I have to admit, I like this character. She... Uh... The role in the movie, she provided the insight of what an ordinary person would live like in this world, as mm-hmm. well as providing an insight into uh, some of the more important characters, who's part of the main triad of girls who were uh, part of the, the childhood friends who catalyzed this whole damn fiasco. And I found that um, when presenting this in the dub, she had to have that... Uh, that uh, manic, upbeat cheerfulness that would be expected from someone who'd be socially conditioned to behave like a model citizen. But she had complexity and depth and painful parts of her that when they came out, Brittany Karbowski did a stand-up job here. I would like to see more of her stuff because she had what I'm pretty sure all of the voice actors said was one of their favorite scenes in the film. 
and uh, <laughs> she plays it beautifully. I um, I found that she she really made me look at butter knives in interesting ways and uh, <laughs> helped me come to reflect on whether societal conditioning could make someone who try to suppress their inner life or whether they people really do have more on this underneath the surface indeed uh no i i also i also liked her i liked her role i liked how she played it very well she brought a lot of that like very like that nice bubbliness to it uh like she did she did a very good job like you know for as, as little time screen time she had she did a good job i thought kind of endearing herself to the audience to a certain extent as far as just being like you know Oh, this friend, and why don't you go visit your parents? And come on, let's go to this nice dinner. Like you could, she did a good job bringing out the fact that, like, oh yeah, these two have been friends for a long time. Mm -hmm. And even though, like, you know, obviously the character she's playing off of doesn't give uh, that much to work with in that regard, I thought she did a good job of selling it from her end, as far as like, okay, there there is a lot of history here. Like when she's saying, you know, hey, it's great to see you. Let's go get a grab a lunch at this cool place that opened up near where I live. It's like, okay, yeah, no, these are good friends. We have not seen each other in a long time. And it gave the impression of someone who was bubbly but not vapid. Yeah. She was cheerful but had depth as well. I uh, I appreciate the uh, layers that were going on here in this performance. And uh, yeah, good job. We salute you, Brittany Karbowski, for doing your part to increase your social role within the movie. You have increased by 2.5 points and are proven to be more capable to for social congruence condition. <laughs> what were your take on this as well? No, I, I, I agree with that. Like she did, a, she did a good job of making this character seem like, you know, cheerful, but like, you know, she does have like depth and concerns and she's not, you know, just this, you know, they could have played her off. They could have played her played this as just kind of like uh, an air, you know, sort of an airhead kind of character where some things take a sudden turn and they don't make a lot of sense. But I thought they did a much better job of like giving her this uh, grounding, which becomes very important given how the her big scene ends. Because uh, you know, you know, that spaghetti sauce—it needed more tomato. I know. Uh, so, so tragic. Yeah. So sad. It just—it ruined the pasta. It was terrible. Yeah. Uh, yes, Brittany Karbowski is Sion. Very good. Yeah. And now we'll go on to one of our two, uh, let's say our two main characters in the movie. Oh, oh, uh, oh yes, <laughs> yes. Why, why sneeze? Do I hear some opinions coming on? You hear opinions coming on opinions that are not mandated by Watch Me. Opinions that are born of a free agent that is not shackled to a corrupt and hollow system. Oh, oh Monica Rael. Monica Rael as our dear, dangerous Miak Mihie. Monica has been in the voice acting game for a long, long time. I believe she was in, um, what was it? She was also in Soul Eater, the um, Tsumasa. Um, I'm sorry, I don't have this sheet in front of me. You read the names. You're, you're more knowledgeable than I on these matters. Yes, I, I scribbled down a couple of roles they've been in. Uh, I'm not actually not sure I need to list that many voice roles. She's been in everything. She's probably the one of the biggest superstars in English anime voice acting. Mm. Uh, but I think I can at least list what I'm sure is everyone's favorite role from Monica, uh, which is playing Pen Pen in the Evangelion Rebuild movies. Surely everyone's favorite role. Wank wank. Exactly. And uh, more recently, she has also been playing uh, Suya Asui, everyone's favorite uh, frog-based superhero in My Hero Academia. Best girl. Uh, among with like eight billion other things. Among you've, if you if you've seen anime, you've probably seen her at least one thing. Oh yeah, she's hard to miss. Oh, 
um, this role. Oh, this role. Uh, I I admit, confession, I have a slight VA crush on Monica Real. <laughs> I, um, I first watched Razafon when I was a poor, troubled teenager back in 2010. The correct and, time to watch Razafon. Yes, and uh, she she put on her big girl voice. That was my introduction to her. And she ha- she could be cheerful and sweet, but she also put into a seductive register that um, made my heart do a little somersault in my chest. While she's mostly done in doing childish or childish-sounding roles, she can also do some real adult stuff. Um, I think one of the... Uh, what was it? The... Uh, torture one that was the OVA. What was that called? Oh. Now I gotta look this up. The <laughs> the series about there are the immortals and that if men get infected with the tree of life they become cannibalistic monsters. Women become immortals. I remember she had a role of this psychotic doctor in it and uh, she put on her big girl voice and she added the role a very dangerous edge towards it that was uh, quite frightening to hear. Uh, I also remember some of her work in Panty and Stocking and Garter Belt, where she plays a very crass but still squeaky-voiced character. And I can see all of those elements condensed into this character that we now have of Miak Mie, where she has the sweet and innocent girl sound to her, but then she give some of these lines that are both that are very crass yet very pointed our tits our pussies she gives this very raunchy line about how these bodies belong to us that is both a over intelligent commentary on how a socio sociological example of biopolitics controls human function blah 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 and also gave it this real crass teenage sexual energy that uh honestly helped make me feel alive after watching some of this you got the feeling this is a character who is in a society where everyone else is numbed and totally conditioned to be blandly happy this is someone who has teeth and uh, yeah there were a few bits where she did go on a little bit with um, an overly talky level she quotes some stuff about the uh, the uh, tra- the sorrow of dear Stottenberg what was that called the uh, uh, the sorrows of young Werther that made people like uh, go kill themselves in imitation of the lead character. That one. Yeah, sorrows of young Werther. I yeah. found that when she went on to that a little bit, it got a little heavy-handed. Of <laughs> she's explaining the plot of this thing and then drawing it towards this decadent, ex- excellent et- personal exposition on why our society is corrupt and why it is beautiful to die. Which I'm sorry, it's the most teenager thing sounding in the world. Oh, it's but... very, te- it's very teenager. Like, you're not wrong. But, yeah, she, despite, again, it was a mouthful, she had to exposit it, and, um, yeah, Monica, you, you managed to make me amused to watch the antics of Shogo Makashima's lesbian suicidal counterpart. Hmm. I, yeah. No, like I, I, I'm in full agreement. Like I thought, you know, she, she, this is, this is, this is a character that's probably like a tough time to do well. I'd say, for a variety of reasons, and mm. I thought she did a very good job given what she was given. Just both in terms of like you know kind of the range the character demanded, uh, and also just you know, well here, well okay, Monica, 
uh, you're gonna have to give a brief description of this very, very heavy German novel from the mid-1800s that was a really big deal at the time, but no one's ever heard of anymore, because who cares? Uh, and you need to make it sound effortless, while also sounding like a teenage girl. Oh, Go. yeah. Um, I think I I found that the, the way she would constantly cite these other philosophers was... Um, given a little bounciness because there was there was some part where it almost came off as flirtation where she's mm. giving this big sapiosexual tirade and then is clearly making intimations towards our protagonist that she is DTF like no one's biz and uh, it worked in the scene uh, I think I said earlier in the chat when I was uh, three sheets to the wind that it's empowering and it's turning me on with a boner <laughs> And if that's if that's what it takes for me to, for her to get through and make this character somewhat compelling, and for me to not completely turn this thing off, good job. What were your more thoughts on this character? Because there's a lot to talk about here, and she she's a specter haunting the film. I don't even know. Like this is this is like talking about her is just reminding me of the fact that occasionally I kind of like watch the movie and I kind of glaze over a little bit. It's like wait. Okay, and keep following what's going on. It's I don't know. There's a lot of like I said. Like this feels this feels very teenager. Like I was like I like I was talking to you earlier. I was reminded a lot of watching like when I was just getting anime. I'd see movies that were very philosophically heavy. I didn't quite know enough yet to figure out if it was like I just wasn't quite getting it. For it was just poorly explained, and it had that same feeling to it. Um, then I was like, it's like there's a lot here. And I can't, I can't tell, like, is it just going over my head because I'm not paying attention enough, or is it just being badly presented to me? Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. and, and, like, Monica made that a lot easier to listen to than it might have been otherwise, but I was still left with that sense of, like, where is this going? And Is this, is this just kind of a rant against modern society, or is there more to this? What's going on? And I was actually pleased. I've... Uh, I was a little a little bit in disagreement about the sorrows of young Werther because there is a thing called Werther syndrome that is uh, related to mass suicides and why hmm. when there are psychologically unstable populations, you know, teenagers who have undergone trauma or something of that sort, it's something that needs to be aware of. And I found getting that reminder in that very teenager, perfect crimson woe of it all, I'm a goth and you don't understand me mom phase <laughs> is... Uh, bang on and uh again i realized that she was tearing down the system and that i was entertained to watch at that point i whenever she came on screen monica made me care again so thank you monica thank you for making me care and make me recognize that i actually have a consciousness after all yeah, it was. It was feels like it would have been a little more interesting to see the movie from her perspective, and like, oh yes, Tuan investing it was kind of just something that you kind of saw in the background occasionally, or something oh. like that. After we're done with this, uh, once we finish this whole up, on the final thoughts, there will probably be on the cutting room floor. I can imagine our poor editor snipping it out now, where Citizen Sneebs becomes Agent Sneebs, who goes on and on about what could be done to make this movie better. <laughs> and I am holding no punches and drinking all of the liquor. <sighs> anyway. Good. Yes. Uh, shall we Shall we go on to our final row to discuss for the evening? Let us go forth and say goodbye, soul. 
It was nice knowing you, but I won't need you anymore because I've watched Harmony. It is pretty soul-crushing. <laughs> so for our for our final character, we have our protagonist, uh, Tuan Kiriai, who's played by Jamie Markey, who you uh, might know for playing Luko in Miss Kabeyoshi's Dragon Maid, Panty in Panty and Stocking, uh, and now Nakamura in Trickster, among many other roles. Sneeves, if memory serves, you have opinions about this character. Oh, Enlighten this... us all, won't you? This, boys and girls, is how you don't write a sociopath. Uh, I find it fun, too, that you mentioned this was a pant the voice of Panty from Panty and Stocking, because her and Monica tore up the scene and made Panty and Stocking one of my favorite guilty pleasures. This here is not such an example. The character is so flat and unlikable. Uh, Jamie does remarkable jobs in some points where she adds just a hint of frustration or a hint of sadness or a hint of passion that is there that almost makes this character relatable. I commend her. She does an amazing job here. But the material she had to work with, this, this is that perfect crimson woe of it all teenager who doesn't give a damn about anyone and the system is just keeping us down, man. And the character is supposed to represent this point of view, but ugh, the dialogue, the original Project Ito dialogue is just her frothing in the most uh, cold and dull way about everything that's wrong with this world. It makes me sick. I'm not alive anymore. And again, Jamie tries to add some element of cold disdain to keep from making it sound too... Um, too repugnant. She again works well with it. These all the entire cast here acts as professionally as they could. Uh, and uh, for here, there were moments where I almost felt maybe there's something missing to this Tuan Curie because there there were some moments where we had shocking revelations, poor, poorly forecast by the script, but. Um, warm all the same that made this person almost approach relatable for a moment and again uh jamie doing a wonderful job there your thoughts dear sir i mean i, I generally agree like jamie felt like she had a very thankless role and that she's the main character and she has to carry the bulk of the movie both in terms of like you know she's in every scene she has all these narrative bits that she has to take but the character she's playing I, I feel like in its original conception, they were probably going for, like, not as flat as it ended up being, but she ends up being with this very flat character who doesn't express a lot, and who has a lot of dialogue with a lot of different characters. Um, and again, like, I, I don't feel like she had a lot, lot to work with up until, like, maybe the very end in that last scene. But to Jamie's credit, I think she thought she did a very good job with those limitations. There were moments um, where... Hmm. There were moments. Uh, yeah. yeah, I found that there was stuff at the very beginning when they were they were meeting. Yeah, no, actually, Bedouins. yes, I, I stand corrected. That was also very good. Meeting the Bedouins. The there were bits where she found out this is my father. Spoilers, and uh, <laughs> that were they weren't telegraphed well by the original source material. The example of suddenly this character has a father that she cared about leaving this seemed like a person who didn't care about anything other than her high school girlfriend slash uh psycho cult leader Mac miak but 
she made it she made this bubbling thing beneath the surface feel almost human but uh, it wasn't flat so much as disaffected mm. that there's a subtle difference there she was capable of giving a damn once but can't anymore and mm. she she made it work as best no. she could no, I agree. Like, given, like I said, given what I don't, given that I don't think she had that that much to work with. Ultimately, I thought she did a very good job. Of what she did, uh, and I did think, yeah, I, I agree. Like, you know, this this felt this role felt kind of thankless from a voice acting perspective, because you have both so much to do and so little to do that with. Um, mm. But like, like, you know, in the sense of like, I can definitely imagine a version of this movie that would be totally unwatchable, because they had someone in the lead role who just couldn't pull it off. And if nothing else, like, Jamie definitely helped me get from, you know, one end of two hours to the other. Uh, so, you know, I give a lot of credit to that, so. Oh, if this movie was unwatchable, don't you know? <laughs> this is what happens when you don't have a consciousness and the software protocols in your brain allow you to no longer have to bear the burden of being. You will be in a state of bliss, just simply mindlessly consuming this. But no, this here this here had the elements of that if we could just flip the switch we would go to having true cognition and true consciousness even a false consciousness and then it would be enjoyable but uh yeah i mm. i'm running out of steam here i can't froth anymore i've used up most of my anger at this i do feel hollow and empty inside oh god <laughs> but yeah yes oh well well, nonetheless, thank you, thank you, Jamie, for uh, giving what you could to this character. I, I would say, like putting it, turning in like a very good performance, all things considered. Give uh, these actors better material, <laughs> please, please. Oh, they, they, they have, and they will. They're not gonna, they're not gonna, they're not gonna waste their laurels in the future. Uh, that's not a phrase, anyways. Uh, <laughs> so, on that note, shall we, shall we move on to our final thoughts? Anything else you want to add? Oh, I have many things I want to add, for I am unmutual, but that's okay. I'm off the grid, man. They can't stop me. <laughs> what were your thoughts? I'm I'm trying better to con contain my impulsiveness, but man, I have feelings. This, this very much reminds me of times I have seen stuff like, say... Uh, like, I, wa I watched, for Dub Talk, I watched a series of years ago called Divine Gate. Mm. Uh, Divine Gate's a very, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a very bog-standard shonen show. It's something that, like, if you're just getting an anime, you'll enjoy it, and if you've watched, like, any other shonen series prior to that, it will seem very boring. But yeah. the dub for it is very well-made. It's oh. well-directed, it is well-written, and it is well-acted. It's this very weird thing where, like, they put effort, you know, like, they put more effort in this, and the show might actually be worse, just because the show is so one-note generic. Yeah. And the dub itself is a clearly is like is like put together well enough that it's like you know if this were like slightly better I think this might would fall in the category of like I would watch this just to hear these actors act kind of thing. Mm. This 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 is a, this might have a little more this is a little better just because like obviously this is a two hour movie and not like a thirteen or sixteen episode TV series, but it felt the same way. The movie itself didn't feel all that special at the end, but I did like what was put into it with regards to the dub in terms of localizing the script in a way that felt appropriate to the material uh how the actors acted how the directors directed the performances and making something that felt you know holistic like everything made sense with the context of the movie 
it also made me wish the movie was a little bit more my speed because then it could be like, here, I saw this fun movie. You should go watch it or something. But instead, it's just like, um, are you tired of watching Blade Runner for the 500th time? Well, you might enjoy this. Mm, yeah. Maybe. I, I can see where you're coming from with that. I liked the... I felt that there were moments, even within mm. the actual, uh, leaving apart all the structural comments, there were moments that were quite good. Monica Real doing that bit at the beginning that uh, I made the empowerment <laughs> comment about. Uh, it kind of shocked me to hear that, to hear to hear something so crass just yeah, right. come out of this. It was It kind of startled me awake because it, it felt very raw and real and while i i can certainly imagine not everyone would want to know that for all posterity there is a line like our pussies our tits they're all ours is something kind of embarrassing but it speaking with the themes of raw teenage rebellion and this desire for personal control it there was something to that. I'd like to almost see elements of the of those raw moments where we have the death cultist psychopath expounding her views on society and play them in contrast with uh, someone else in within this world who rep represents the system that isn't just the um, this. I forget who said this one throwaway line, but there was a there was a moment where. Um, you know, plot spoiler, uh, someone hacks the, the uh, We Watch system or Watch Me system that causes people to experience bouts of suicidal moments. And we saw this very harrowing moment of someone hang themselves through their own, through their own eyes. And just listening to that voice actor pant as you see them pat around their apartment looking for rope and a ladder and it was quite gripping to watch. It was, uh, they, whoever that nameless voice actor is, good on you. But immediately after that, we cut away to the scenes of these, uh, these high councils of the World Health Organization watching on a virtual screen, and someone goes, it's like an affront to the very issues of lifeism itself. That was, <laughs> oh, there's, again, this, it's a problem with the script, they didn't talk that this or explain that this society had this ideology called lifeism that would have been nice to hear a few people say that before we get this line which feels so so forced but ah oh, again it made me feel alive again because like wow that really doesn't fit but i'm enjoying myself again if we could get bits like that to string them together i this could be a trash classic. This could be a genuine trash classic instead of just something that makes me rage. And rage it does. Hey, this novel that was based off of this won a Philip K. Dick Award. But this adaptation is... Like, you, do you know anything about the production history of this? Because I feel they just... This was just something because they got the license and here you go, kids. You want money? Make a Project Ito movie. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. Like, I my my knowledge of the, I don't, like I'm not. It's not entirely clear to me like how the Project Ito stuff kind of came together. Mm. Um, I mostly the main thing I know about this is this was supposed to be the third one originally. Mm. Uh, and then Genocide Organ had to get pushed back a year because uh, you know, uh, Manglobe up and died. Oh. Um, 
But um, like I don't, I don't, I am, I am, I, don't, I am curious because this. Now that I'm thinking about this, does have very much the feel of a much longer book getting hacked down to feature feature film length. And mm. I'm wondering if part of its weirdness is the fact that like we're kind of looking at like a slice of what's ultimately a much longer novel, where all of this stuff gets like fleshed out and explained and is a little less, you know, mind-numbingly pretentious or not. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, unfortunately, I'm not sure like if this one had any like particular production issues or anything like that. It may just be like it's not like it may just be you know. For all I know, this is just one of these books that like doesn't really translate out of being a book very well, and it probably shouldn't have been made into a movie in the first place. I can't say I've not read it myself. I've gathered the impression from looking at various feedbacks and reviews about this. Um, mm -hmm. The opening scene where we have this big iPod-looking monolith with a circle going around on it mm -hmm. that's showing the consciousness loading or basically a bunch of computer gibberish. Mm -hmm. Apparently that was actually part of the novel structure where there were, were these HTML tags that encoded emotional states mm -hmm. and that this was tying into the idea of consciousness as programming and how... Uh, systemic regulation if the mind can be software it can be regulated and bug debugged and all of that mm. and i think it would have worked better in a literary form but one can still make a lot of this work by having cutting to and from this explaining explaining things through action rather than mm. just having people do expo speak dumps because there's there are moments like visually uh, some of the actual world-building design, like all of the buildings in Japan, look like this odd organic um, living tissue cities that yeah. uh, have a have a really interesting aesthetic. There are some nice jarring, you know, when we go to Iraq, there's a scene of uh, minarets and mosques and things that are also in this pink organic nature that show this colonialized world. It's fascinating. Mm. But the delivery, Ugh, the delivery. Yeah. Oh well. <sighs> we got oh, to see Lesbo Makashima talk about the importance of paper books again, and <laughs> if I I get to see Lesbo Makashima go on about the importance of paper books again, that's okay. That's bearable to me. Although personally, I would have loved to have watched like anyone from Psychopaths come in and just wreck the shit of anyone in this shitty universe. <laughs> Alex Organ, I know you were a voice actor on the side in this, so please, please, I want to hear this. You and Monica, I want to hear a Shogo. I want to hear a Shogo. <laughs> I want to hear a Shogo versus Miyak um, philosophical discussion go on. That would just be the perfect, perfect thing to wash this whole movie down with. Do it, guys. Do it for your fans. Do it for us. Do it Make so you can. Make silly movie worth it. Show us how mutual and great your social scores really are. <sighs> okay. <sighs> so now I, th I, I don't know what else I can say before going deeper and deeper into a rant about the nature of consciousness and how this movie portrays it. See that? I want to talk about consciousness. There are good ideas in this movie, but ah. Oh. Yeah, no, that about sums it up, I think. <laughs> uh, anything else? We thank you, fellow citizens, for joining us to discuss Harmony 
We hope you too have finally enjoyed the engagement of the Harmony program and have become completely free and blissful and incapable of the suffering of self. Just have some drinks already! <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so I think that about wraps it up for us. Uh, uh, you can currently get Harmony from uh, on DVD and Blu-ray from Funimation. Uh, I don't believe it is currently streaming on Funimation's website. Uh, although, if you enjoy watching anime, you uh, may want to do yourself a favor and sign up for Funimation's streaming service, mm -hmm. uh, which allows you to access hundreds if not thousands of hours of anime all at your fingertips for a low, low price that I do not remember off the top of my head. I want to say something like six ninety nine a month, something like that. It's something like six ninety nine a month, nine ninety nine if you want to go for Around there. It is, it is cheaper it's than a Netflix a good account. Rate. It's a very good rate. Please it do so. A... Support the anime industry today. Please do, because apparently people still need to be told that in this day and age, and I don't know why. It's because they're not in harmony. You make a fair point. You see... That, boys and girls, is how biopower enforces social control. But yes, yeah. uh, so you can you can get this from uh, Funimation and uh, sign up for the streaming service because it is very good, even if Harmony is currently not on there. Or is it good because Harmony is not currently on I there? I think the latter. I definitely think the latter. <laughs> it, it's not like they'd put most movies up for streaming anyhow. Movies, mm -hmm. you don't watch episode by episode. You get the whole No, that's thing. true. So it makes sense they wouldn't have it up there, but... Yeah, you can listen to a whole bunch of other, much better things on the Funimation server. You can watch Psychopaths, where if you want to scratch your cyberpunk itch, it's probably a better way to spend your time anyways, so try that out. I would also recommend Ergo Proxy for something that is similarly pretentious, but is way more fun. <laughs> Although it doesn't have someone talking about their pussies and their tits and the sorrows of young Werther. Can't get away with that on Japanese television. Nope. Says the uh, person who hasn't seen Queen's Blade. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, I'm saying, maybe I'm saying things that aren't true. I don't know. I've never actually watched any Japanese television. Uh, That's Superman, okay. Of course, but yeah. Globalization will catch up with us soon enough, and then all will mm -hmm. become one in harmony. Uh, Sneeves, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on the internet as a disembodied consciousness floating around at Twitter are on Twitter at Uncle Azrael. You may also find me on Tumblr at Uncle Azrael. I am a proud member of the Dub Talk family and want you to become a part of the family too. Follow us today at Dub Talk Podcast. Thank you, Sneeze. And uh, I can be found at Twitter at Amon Dual US. Dual has two U's in it. Uh, where I post about mm, stuff and whatever. Uh, and uh, you can also see my frequently update unupdated blog at worldthatscoming.blogspot.com, which might update in the future. Who knows? Cross your fingers. Uh, and what's a, what's a good song to send people off with? Hmm. I think something System of a Down. <laughs> I actually don't know that many System of a Down songs. Hmm. It's all about fucking the system, man. Fuck authority! <laughs> uh, what's a good one? Um, I don't know. Let's, uh, let's do Bulls on Parade by Rage Against the Machine. That seems appropriate. Yeah, now we there got we it. Go. Now we there got we, it. Yeah. There we go. All right, so go check that out. Uh, 
And uh, thank you for listening to this special episode of Dub Talk. I'm Amon, signing I- off. I'm Sneeze. Thank you for your time. Good night. Fuck the system! <laughs> 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 <laughs>